Hi, I'm Shalushi Baxi Ritchie. And I'm Kosha Baxi Karstens. We are sisters and best friends who grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were really loved. We had a lot of friends, but we never felt like we fully fit in. We started to realize that there's probably a lot of other people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast. Then during the 2020 election, we watched now Vice President Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence, and we got inspired. We want to hear, share, and amplify the voices of all Americans who have felt othered. We want to give everyone a platform to reclaim their power and their place by standing up and saying, I am speaking. So I'm really excited today to be able to introduce to you all my really good friend, Liz Drapa. You guys go way back. Oh yeah, we met when we were in high school. And unfortunately for the two of us, our time together was kind of short. We were only together for a year, but reconnecting after so much time, actually it turns out to be good because we have come to appreciate how much we have in common. And I think you'll hear that in this episode. Oh, definitely. There are times where I was like, there's a cross stream situation going on. What I think is really awesome about your relationship and what I could hear, you know, just when you guys are talking is like you said, and I was going to bring up that same thing is like, you were only friends for a year and you've, you've come back together, which means like, you've really come, you don't have the quote burden of history to be like, Oh, well, I have to be friends with this person. I, we've been friends forever. Right. Like you truly want to be each other's friends after you know, all of this time and you are really similar. You work in similar like circles and, um, and then as we find out in this episode, your, our stories are so similar. Yeah. There's a lot of unbelievable overlap or unbelievable coincidence. It was like, Oh no, that happened to you. That happened to me too. Or that happened to your parents. Like you discovered it today. <laughs> Literally the moment we're recording, I was like, Oh, me too. Hearing all of that just made me realize maybe, maybe somehow we pick up on people who get us, even if we don't know why they get us. And I'm going to just hearken back to other episodes that maybe our listeners have already heard where they hear maybe your friend saying, oh, well, this thing happened to me. And you go, yeah, that happened to me too. The same way that I in this episode, especially, you'll hear, oh my gosh, me too. We, as first-generation immigrants or first-generation people, children of immigrants, we, he, we were drawn to people who have our same headspace, even if we don't articulate it at the get-go, right? We don't say like, hey, I'm a first-generation person and this is what I'm dealing with. But somehow our vibe is the same. And I think something you said and that people hear this episode is perhaps that comes from our parents too. Like the immigrants themselves being able to recognize, okay, I'm cool with you being friends with going over there for lunch every day because they're good people. They're safe people. I understand their story. Our parents liked Liz because she was a safe person and that when I was with her, they could reasonably expect me to be in 
a good place, a safe place, not doing things that were dangerous or might reflect poorly on them. But I imagine that her parents were also in the same in the same head, headspace, which is like, oh, Shailushi? Well, we know where her parents, we know what they're about generally, maybe not like intimately, but we know where they are. And if you're out with her, it's safe enough to be out with her. What a weird place to find connection about where you were constrained. I just, so usually we talk about Femelect at the end. Um, it is sprinkled throughout this episode. And, and it's it so awesome. Glorious. It is so awesome that we have decided that we need to actually put together like a compendium of words that we have compiled. And I really want to know like what other people's femelect is. So um, I'm just going to ask people to, to either, you know, write on social media or email us or text me if you know my information, uh, what your specific, yeah, or text Shayla She. Enjoy this episode with Liz. She's, her laugh is so like lovely too. Like she just made me want to like curl up and like have some polo sausage and vodka and play bridge. I, I'm really excited to present to you all a good friend of mine, Liz Drapa. She is speaking. She is speaking. That would be fantastic. Yeah. What do I say again? My do name I mean? is Liz Drapa and, and I am never, ever going to be Kosha's friend. <laughs> and I am speaking. All right. <laughs> About not being Kosha's friend. I kid. I kid only because I assume you've heard some of these episodes. Like every single one, she's like, oh my God, we should totally be friends. I was like, all of my friends, all of them. I've already said that about Liz, though. Yeah. Damn it. Watch out. Well, if I move out your way's way to get a bigger place, watch out. Oh my gosh. Shulshi, what is happening? <laughs> I'm trying to fix the screen because the computer's doing something weird. Oh, Lordy. I just don't want it to slide off the thing. So yeah, we don't want that. Hi, my name is Liz and I am speaking. I just want to start by saying I have loved so much that this podcast, I feel like has brought you and I closer together yes. and that like, I'm just like, oh, it's so great when you get to read this, like reconnect with friends that you're like, we were really good friends. And then we kind of drifted apart. And now we're like, we could still be really good friends. Exactly. Wow, that's awesome. Because sometimes you have friends and they go off in directions and you're like, huh, okay, well, I'm sorry to see that happening, but people's lives take interesting turns. So I'm, a, I'm really glad that like, now that I'm back in Chicago, like we get to hang out. More Me often. too. I like this term. It's nice to see you again. <laughs> Didn't you work in like similar fields at one point or something? So we actually got reconnected uh, because I was doing homelessness work. And then CSH, uh, what's it? Corporation for Supportive Housing is a partner for most um, homeless agencies across the country. And they do a lot of different things. CSH is a lot of different things. Not not focused on housing, housing per se, but on like training people and like creating, um, like helping communities understand like the path to affordable housing and all these kinds of things. So because we were both in the same universe at that time, I saw a post for a job uh, that was being posted somewhere. I didn't even remember where, but it was like, let's drop it. And I was like, is it? 
I mean, there's not that many Liz Drapas. There's not that. So I was one. like, is it, is it just one of you? Awesome. There's one other Liz Drapa, but she goes by Ella Drapa in Poland. Oh yeah. She doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> That's also something you and I have in common or really close to in common, which is Shay Lushi. If you put my first name into Google, I'm the only one that shows up. Really? For like 20, maybe not 20 pages, but like 12 pages at least. Like there's stuff I did in Ingolane. There's stuff like I did in high school, some random like chat board I joined. Anything you want to know about me basically is on Google. You guys, can I just say um, when I was growing up, I didn't realize it was Ingle Lane. Just so it was Ingle Lane? I thought it was Angling. <laughs> like someone's yeah. like trying to angle into something yeah. like or are is you it just like, trying to ang- isn't angling like fishing angling is fishing yeah. and then if someone is angling right they're to, trying right. to like get yourself stick, in yeah yeah i didn't realize that until much later later than it should have been that's a very actually that that also feels like a very kosher thing general, <laughs> it is yes which yes. is like you just like have these ideas in your head and then you're like uh, oh, I'm just going to keep it for a while. <laughs> I'm yeah. just going to keep that idea. So right. that's interesting because that kind of connects us to what we were, when you said, you know, there was a, there's a Elizabeth Droppa in Poland mm-hmm. that connects us to, you know, why we're here and what we're talking about with first generation Americans. So Liz and I have known each other since high school. We went to Streeter High together and we were freshmen together. And it was then that that we discovered a that we had a lot in common and that we really liked each other, but also that you know I got to hear Liz's story about her family. Her parents came over from Poland, but I wanted you to take a moment and share a little bit more fully about your family's immigration story. So my both of my parents came over um, from Poland. My dad came over when he was just starting high school or finishing eighth grade uh, because my grandfather brought his family over. So you can picture like the late sixties, I think it was maybe early seventies. Poland was not in good shape, right? It were really after the war, Russia is all over. Can't really, no freedom of expression or religion or, you know, it's just really a different environment than it is today. Um, And I also just think it was really hard to uh, make a living. And my grandfather had three kiddos and a wife to support and a pretty tough life farming and butchering. So uh, he had, I think it's cousins that were over here already and somebody sponsored him to come over. Uh, so he came over on a boat with my uncle, Joe, and uh, they landed in Streeter and set up a little life for their family and brought everybody over. Okay, Streeter is landlocked. So they didn't just end oh, up yeah, in he didn't take the boat from wherever he was to Streeter, <laughs> but somehow got over here to America uh, and made his way through that traditional like Polish path of Chicago uh, down to central Illinois. And there's this little community of Slovak and Polish people that lived in Streeter and they totally slid right into that community, which I'm pretty sure half the people were cousins of some sort now that I've been doing our family tree. Why Streeter, right? So and certainly, I asked that question, a big why I asked that question is, in the 80s, Streeter was, by all accounts, you know, historical accounts, on the decline. Yep. It was a small farming town that had about 22 or 23,000 people. It basically was sort of the hub for all the farming communities around. 
although it had some amazing community resources for being that small. It had a, you know, it had a community theater, it had a golf course and a, um, a community center. It had so many great things. It had a hospital, which yeah. is really unusual, actually. It had its own hospital and a bunch of medical professionals, which is how my family ended up there because my mm -hmm. dad took over a practice. But that was, you know, in the 80s. How did your grandfather and your dad end up there? Yeah, so on my dad's side, my grandfather got a job at the glass factory. So one of the big things in Streeter was, I think there was two or three different glass factories. Coca-Cola used to bottle a Coke there. You used to be able to get, you know, your Budweiser beer bottled in Streeter. I think you probably still can. And uh, he knew people that worked at the factory and he was able to get connected there to get a job. Um, it was affordable, you know, it was somewhere you could get a house and you could set up your fam. Um, I think too, it was small. And they, like the village that my family's from is tiny. Like we're talking less than a thousand people tiny, maybe less than 500 people tiny. So I think it also was important. Like they're not city folks, right? That we're gonna get lost in big Chicago. Um, so I'm pretty sure environment worked in. In Poland, were they in a smaller community? Were, they weren't in Warsaw, it sounds like. No, um, no, we're from like Southern Poland. So to go from Krakow South about an hour, uh, there's a little village that we're all from, my mom's side and my dad's side. And then I've done our family tree. Our entire family is from that village back to the 1700s. So um, tiny, tiny little spot that we've all stayed in or folks immigrated to America from. Yeah. Also, I th you know, one thing I will say right off the bat, I find really interesting to hear you say is that your family was from a village, yep. which so when I think about villages, I think about this little smattering of, mm. you know, houses and huts. Houses, I say, like with quotes, um, on the side of the road or the train tracks as we're going from Mumbai to Ahmedabad, where my mom's family was. I do not think of Poland or anywhere in Europe having villages, but yeah, that's one, like right off the bat, one sort of mind-blowing moment, like, oh, Actually, a lot of places at that time probably still were very small and very undeveloped. Absolutely. I remember when the road got paved. Like we happened to be in Poland that summer when the road, because there was really one main one, got paved. Um, and then I think we were there when they got sidewalks for the first time too. So it, it definitely has like changed so much since the 80s to today. Um, I can't even imagine what it was like before. That makes sense why your parents that, or your grandparents, I should say, felt comfortable in Streeter. Yeah. Right? Like, because I remember when we got the Walgreens and stuff. Like, it, <laughs> so, like, that, being in Chicago probably would have been really overwhelming. felt very overwhelming. Yeah. And they yeah. were able to get work, and they were able to have their family around them and have it be a small community. So, and there were so many people like them anyway, right? Yep. Yeah. There. Because yeah. by the time we got there, Shayla, she, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the glass factory was closed by, like, we moved right. in 1982. It wasn't there anymore. Yeah, there was nothing there at that time. We had definitely, all the, all of the industry had gone, and it was mainly running off of community businesses that were serving people who lived there and in the surrounding areas and the hospital. Yeah, and my mom's story is that she really came over for love. 
truly fell in love with my dad and decided to move to America when they got married. Um, so it's pure romance. Like they wrote letters for two years. There's the letter he wrote that he said he had a plane ticket to come and marry her. How did they meet though? Match.com? <laughs> yeah, the Polish match.com <laughs> on paper. Um, my family is where two brothers married two sisters. So my aunt and uncle got married and my dad wasn't at that wedding because he was in America. He came back after graduating high school and went to Poland. And because the village is small, you got to go say hi to the in-laws of your brother. And the story, as he tells it, is he knocks on the door. A beautiful woman answers the door. It is my mother. He knows instantly that this is the woman he's meant to marry. And they have a whirlwind 30 days together um, hanging out and enjoying um, each other's company and then he comes back to America because uh, he had a job and uh, they kept writing letters and so he fell in love with his you know sister-in-law or sister-in-law's family and became my mom and him got married that's a movie plot basically how is there not like a Netflix series made about your family totally <laughs> yeah no it's one of my favorite it is one of my favorite things two things one because that would almost never happen in India no, I should take that back and say it would never happen in our community in India that, and I want to be real clear when I say this because some people will hear it incorrectly, Kosh and I are Brahmins, which is the highest caste, but with, even within that caste, there are subcastes, and our subcaste is Nagar, which is N-A-G-A-R. We're supposed to be able to trace our roots back to Alexander the Great. There's a, I mean, you want to talk about like colorism. There's not so much racism, but there's a lot of colorism in Indian communities um, and casteism in Indian communities. And so those Nagar Brahmins, which are the highest of the high, basically, also have the lightest skin. And so there's a real disincentive to marry outside your caste, but also to marry inside your caste too much. So for example, my mom was once engaged to someone who was her cousin's wife's cousin. It's not that many steps removed, right? You know, we also, my mom's cousin is married to somebody who basically is like a third cousin to my dad. Things are real, relatively tight. Obviously you're not marrying a first or second cousin, but you do too much of that and it starts to be problematic. So like that would never go anywhere. I just remember being like, oh, two marriages and two families. That's amazing. Well, even the, even the whole, like, I mean, you know, we know that there's arranged marriages and love marriages. That's a thing in India too. Love marriage. Love That means you decided to get married to somebody who wasn't approved of right by your family. And we have an aunt and uncle who actually had a love marriage they also wrote letters for like a year, but it was like approved before they got married. So they're not technically considered a love marriage. But so the fact that like your dad went to pay his respects to his brother's in-laws In-law. now yep. and met your mom and was like, is it? I'm done. And everyone was like, yeah, I'm cool with that too. It's, I think it's, I'm cool with it too is really interesting. I wouldn't even think that like somebody would have to be cool with it right like that's the difference too I'm sure people had opinions right but that's not like when I think about my grandparents I'm not sure they would even insert themselves 
and that's cultural too. Like be a little more quiet and just like silently judging as opposed to blatantly judging. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. So I know somebody, uh, one of my good friends is a doctor and her like office, one of her office managers is Polish and she went to Poland and wrote her parents and were like, I'm getting married to this person that I met here and then got married and came back to the United States. And they've been married like 30 years. And it's so weird because my first thought was like, how did your parents not come over there and like drag your ass back home? But it makes sense. Cause that's, that's exactly where my mind would have gone. Like I might as well just not mail, like email my, or like let my parents know where I am anymore because I, I, they will come get me, but like, it's, it sounds like that's a cultural thing. Like you get to make your decisions. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think the thing they probably care about, like, are they a good person and are they Catholic? Pretty much if you can hit those two things, I'm guessing those were the top criteria. Yeah. Well, certainly I, I know the religious thing is huge. huge. It's a good thing that your mom was Catholic, but it's also, you know, she's kind of pre-vetted. So that was really good. Yeah, because if you prove it once, you're going to prove it a second time. Like exactly, exactly. <laughs> you can tell your mom I said this. We can cut it if you want, but I think your dad was right because if your mom still looks, how I remember her. She was beautiful, but also one of the kindest people I'd ever met in my entire life. I agree. I agree. That's your mom is incredibly warm and incredibly kind, and every time I was near her, I always felt loved. Wow. Oh. Even if she wasn't like, oh, I love you. I just felt loved. She, you spent a lot of time at Liz's. Yeah. So one of the more interesting things about our high school experience is that Liz only lived like four blocks from the, from the high school and we had an open campus so we could walk off campus for lunch. And it started out being just like four or five of us. And then at some points it was like 15 people. Like at some point it became a huge crowd. And it kind of went up and down, but we would walk to her house for lunch and have lunch there and walk back. And Liz's mom never blinked that about A, how many people were showing up or that B, it was always like, some days it's four people. Some days it's like 12 people. So she just had to prepare for 12 people like descending on her house for lunch. But that's kind of our culture, right? Like 12 people could descend on my parents' house today, even though the two of them live alone and they'd be able to feed everybody. Everybody would have drinks. They'd have a good time. Like that is so ingrained in our culture that you just come over. And when you come over, whatever we got can be on the table. Like whatever it is, as little or as much as I have, like you are sharing it and people are going to enjoy it and have a good time. And I love that part of our culture and totally something I picked up, right? Like if you come over and you tell me there's 20 people coming over for dinner, we'll figure it out. Like we got enough. Talk a little bit more about that. Like, what do you mean by when you say our culture, can you describe a little bit more about what you mean specifically what that's like? Yeah. So I mean, I think for me, our culture is, well, it's so mixed, right? Like we're, we're Polish because our parents are from Poland and we grew up speaking Polish and there were all these Polish people around. Um, but then it's also American. Like it's that mix of small town American in there. Uh, so it's this beautiful little casserole of, I don't know, whatever our drop of culture is. And for us, that's totally hospitality. 
Like you always have a place to sleep. You always get food to eat and it's always really good and generous. Even the introverts in our family are pretty good at having people around. You know, I call it um, kava herbata, which is coffee tea. Like you come over and there's just always coffee tea, coffee tea. What do we do all day? We drink coffee and tea and talk. Um, And that's just kind of the way we work as a family and the way I've experienced hospitality when I go over to Poland too. So when you go to Poland and you visit people, you come home caffeinated as hell. Yes. You have to be really careful. Really careful. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's constant. And it's literally like, the next question is coffee or tea. Coffee or tea. You have a meal? Coffee or tea. You want to sit down? Coffee or tea. And I, I love it. If you're going to go to someone's house nowadays, maybe you text them and you're like, hey, it's okay if I drop by around 530. Right. In India, there's no culture like that at all. It's like you show up. Yeah. And whoever is there is there. And then there's the immediate offering of making chai and snacks. It's not necessarily a meal, right? But like, do you want something to drink or chai pani? It's the same thing. Do you want chai or you want, chai or you want water? And then do you want some snacks? And it's the extension of hospitality. And sometimes that person sits for five minutes and sometimes they sit for three hours and the extension of hospitality is automatic. Yep. Um, and it sounds really similar. What was it like the first time you went back by yourself? Been back a few times. Um, with my mom mostly. And then I think I started going every year about seven years ago. Um, once I really got closer to my cousins that were my age and, uh, it was the same. I mean, it was maybe even a little more over the top in terms of the hospitality. Cause folks were like my parents, friends or my parents, aunts and uncles. And I was going to visit them and say, hi, they had to take care of you full red carpet, right? Like, so, you know, I also imagine it was a bit of like, she is taking time out of her busy American life. I don't know if that was it, but to come and see us and we don't have a direct relationship. So it's like even more special. Yeah, right. And some of these people I've only met like twice in my life before. Like, you know, it's not like I got to spend tons of time with my grandparents growing up or my aunts and uncles. So when you do see them, it's like super special and everybody treats it that way, including me. It's really great to like see how people <laughs> roll out the red carpet. And that's why I want to take all my friends with me sometimes <laughs> and just show them what it's like. I'll come. Yeah, come with me. We're going to do start doing tours. Still, she, she said her friends, which means I'm included. <laughs> <laughs> if we could just, if if this was a video podcast, it, people could just see Shilashi's face. There's like multiple people where I have basically said, oh, this is my friend, Kosha, why don't you come hang out with us? And then all of a sudden she's like having these like deep, dark conversations. And I was like, hello, <laughs> I'm still over here. Yeah, it's, this is a recurring theme is that I poach her friends. And I think that, that she should take that as like a compliment because that means she's so good at making friends. I already know that. <laughs> Hence they're your friends. I know I have awesome friends. That's because they're, they're my friends. I'm not friends with not awesome people. <laughs> also, that's why I'm friends with you. And you're not just my sister. That's why I'm friends with you. But also, Liz is awesome. Everyone that's... Yes. Also, your friends have been awesome, too. Correct. There's just been fewer of them. Fewer of them. <laughs> like, two people so far. Three people so far. Okay. Correct, yes. Sorry. We're getting right, off track. Anyway. So, so the, the, re- the red carpet got rolled out because you were... You came separately. What was that experience like? Like, 
describe for us what a typical day might look like for you being there. Basically, I mean, if we're, if I'm going to visit people, which is mostly why I would go to Poland, I don't really go, I haven't been too much to be a tourist. It is a light schedule of visiting different homes. And that means you show up and you sit down at the table. It's always at the dining room table or the kitchen table, usually the kitchen table. And there's the spread that's already out and ready. There's the coffee and the tea on the table. And then there's stories for hours. And I love them because it's stories about my grandma or my grandpa or, you know, the crazy things they used to do to survive during the eighties when it was martial law, like you name it. I wow. love all of it. And um, then you go to the next house and it's pretty much on repeat for the day. So when I went back a couple of years ago, I was going from, I went to meet my dad's cousins because I'd never met them before and they're three sisters. So I went from each of their homes. And so we get to the first house. We have our hospitality. They tell me stories. Um, by the time I get to the next house, the sister has called her other sister to say, hey, she likes this type of food. And she ate this, but she didn't eat that. And so on the table is my preferred foods from the last house and some other stuff that she made. And then the third sister, same story. It's like, like a oh, hospitality version of the three little pigs. <laughs> so by, the third, by the third house, you're like, all dialed in. All dialed in. Perfect. All my favorite things. And my great aunt sit in court and she's telling me stories about the war and how she met her husband and my grandma's wedding. And, you know, it's really, it's all storytelling to me because that's why I'm going back, right? I just want to hear where I came from and who these people are that I've never met, but had a big part to play in my family's life. Yeah. So, how much I is, love it. When you're listening to these stories, how much do they feel connected to you and how much do they feel like you're listening to stories Shilshi and I when we went back when we were kids at least you would hear these stories and it was almost you know we think people are like oh my god you got to go to India every year that's incredible this and that I'm like it was boring like we did not want to go I I didn't appreciate it until much later I'm like we sat and played so much gin rummy together and it was really for my parents to visit my mom my grandparents and their people you know it wasn't for us yeah we go like four to six weeks at a time same thing didn't want to go really that meant I didn't get to see my friends all summer exactly and we would play cards or dominoes because those, those were two things you could play no matter what language anybody spoke and there wasn't tv you know like People were coming over that I didn't know, and they were super excited to see me, but I didn't know who they were. Completely different to go as an adult. Um, I actually, like, the stories do sound like stories, but they're fascinating because it's such a different time. Like, yeah, it really, like, so much has changed in the last, what, 60 years? That country, to hear the stories of, you know, like, how I found out my, I think it's my great uncle was a rebel soldier in the war. And it's just like, what was he doing? <laughs> Turning over trains, hiding in the woods, like getting sent awesome. off to camps in Germany, you know, just, just stuff that you don't get to hear as a kid and is really interesting as an adult because you didn't understand the pain or the story at all. And, you know, sometimes I don't understand all of it because it's all in Polish and I have to piece it together, but I get most of the story down. So do you still speak Polish? I do. I do. I think it's kind of rusty being home for, I haven't been there in two years, but um yeah I try to keep it up my grandma's only spoke 
uh, Polish, so we had to keep it going so we could talk to him. Uh, and I had one grandma here and one grandma there. So we, we kept it up. And then when my grandma passed about five years ago, we just kind of don't have people to practice on. So I use it on the bus in Chicago because there's a lot of people <laughs> that I can listen into their conversations and practice. Oh my God, that's, a, that's amazing. <laughs> it's like this little superpower. Nobody, no, nobody knows that I can speak Polish and it's not a language that a lot of people can speak. So when you hear it, I'm just like, bink. I know exactly what they're talking about. And they're totally gossiping about the lady on the bus. It's actually in, in some ways that's very similar to Gujarati because, you know, it's, it's a small, it's a state language in India. Hindi is the national language, but in English and English. Yeah. But India is basically a whole bunch of like little territories stuck together into a country. And so they've found a way to be somewhat unified, but Every area has its own language and its own even dialects. But if you think about Shailshi, dad speaks far better Gujarati than Hindi. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, my mom speaks this beautiful, poetic Hindi. And my dad's is kind of like, because he went to English medium speaking school at the age of 11. So, yeah. like, my dad it has functional Hindi. The other really interesting thing about my parents, for example, is that my mom is from the big city. So my mom speaks correct Gujarati. Oh, yeah. My dad's Gujarati is backwater Gujarati. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Seriously. So when I was, I went to India when I was 19, I went by myself. It was after my first year in college. That was a similar thing where like people fawned over me because I came by myself. Yeah. So it felt like you care enough about us to come here. Right. Instead of being dragged by your parents. Um, but I heard those cool stories, but I also... I speak a lot more like my dad than I do like my mom, actually. And people made fun of me for using that particular accent. And I was like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> but I'm yeah. speaking Gujarati. What do you want? Right. Like, totally. I, also, I live in a country where everyone speaks English. Yep. So the fact that I can communicate with you in this language, maybe you could not give me crap about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I like for me, I speak 1970s Polish. Like my parents haven't updated their words or like their, you know, their slang. So sometimes I bust out words and my cousin's kids are like, what in the world? Like It's like saying like groovy, dude. And you're like, oh, like yeah. Cracker so Jack. I'm out of sight. <laughs> That's Cracker Jack. And you're just like, no one says that anymore. <laughs> so, because I was going to ask, like, how different is the Polish that your parents came with versus like, if you're in Krakow or is there kind of this like, backwater yep there's dialects for sure like we have a mountain one so folks can usually hear it I don't I don't understand the difference um but they can they can pretty much tell where my family's from once I start talking and then I told you the 70s part so I also speak in super old Polish because uh, my parents didn't update their dictionary and uh we also have the English Polish thing so my grandma would she didn't speak English but she used a lot of words and pretended they were English but they were really not anything can you give an example of that yeah like garage was garachu like I'm going uh each dog garachu and and you're just like I knew what that was and then every once in a while it comes out I'm like okay I'm gonna go to the garachu and they're like what like what are you even saying that's, <laughs> that's amazing your language so you know it's a weird weird mix. so she would english 
Englishized words or Polishized words? I don't know which one she was doing. What is actually the word for garage? I don't know. Yeah. You don't know the I word don't know. for garage in Polish. You just no. know garachu. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of this uh, podcast is that I'm just going to take everyone's familact and no one's going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Except for me. <laughs> Except for Shayla G. It's going to be like some familact between the two of us. Yeah, I know. Right. It's like one step away from speciation. Like no one can understand <laughs> you. Well, and there's no way to get better. Like I'm illiterate in Polish, right? Because it's all just spoken word. So it's not like I can read and learn how to make it any better. Like you put a menu in front of me. I don't even know what you're talking about. You need a Denny's menu. Just point at things. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And actually, so you and I, are, this is another area where you and I are really similar, which is I I can speak Gujarati better than any of my siblings can. By far. It's a little bit awkward sometimes when I'm trying to say something because I'm like often grasping for a specific word, but I can get there. Yep. And the more I speak it, the better I am at it. My siblings are like, they can understand it. Occasionally, there's some words that come out, but mostly it's response in English. And much of it is Femilek. Like my Gujarati words are just because I've heard them. And so I say those things um, and not appropriately all the time. But there are two things that are really similar. One is that I can neither read nor write Gujarati in any meaning. Like I can kind of make it through the alphabet, which is not even reading level, right? And then you could write your name, but that's because... We all thought it was fancy when we were kids. Exactly. And then the second thing being like my vocabulary, my language is stuck yep. at a place where I'm like, this is when I stopped learning and speaking it for the most part. Yeah. I'm a 13 year old, right? Like that's about when it was no longer cool to have this half and half language and people would notice or you thought people cared. And so you're just stuck there. And it's fascinating because here you are, like a 45-year-old woman speaking like a 13-year-old 1970s Polish girl in Poland. And people don't know what to do with you. <laughs> people are like, I'm so confused. There's so many boxes you're checking right now that everything gets unchecked. That makes no sense. There's, it's like someone, like a drunk person just went, yep, that thing and that thing and that thing and that thing. And they just put it together. And this person saying "gracchu," that's not a word, you guys. <laughs> And they're too polite like you think you're great because everybody's just so happy you're you know blubbering on and on in polish and they just keep nodding and you're like i'm good at this i should write a book and then everyone else is like no one can read that book don't write a book we can't read it given that our podcast name is i'm speaking it's funny that we're not being like no one should be speaking <laughs> <laughs> these people should not be speaking like it's, it's cute. It's cute that you think you can talk. These are not real words, not no. modern vocabulary. Right. Or correct pronouns. <laughs> and your parents think you're an amazing speaker because they're still speaking 1970s <laughs> Polish. Look at her. That's my daughter. That's hilarious. And to loop it back around, like, I think that is, I think that is often what our parents think. It's amazing that my U.S. raised child is will is willing to learn yep. and engage and visit and be a part of this culture. And then when you go back, what you find out is actually you don't belong there. Whatever you've learned here doesn't work there. And whatever you learned there doesn't make any sense here either. 
they feel the same thing. Like when my mom goes back, she's like, I don't know where I belong there or here. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't get it a whole way, but I get a little bit of it. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's not what you told me it was, but I don't know. I don't know where you belong either. No, so. that I, I appreciate that too. And mom has said similar things. And when she goes to India, it like, she also walks different. Like she's been here for, you know, 45 years and people can tell like store owners and stuff like shop owners. It doesn't matter how well she speaks Gujarati, which she speaks Gujarati better than she speaks English, but like there is something it's, it's so I'm, I'm very fascinated by these stories because of how much parallel there is to our lives. Because I think one of the things that Sheila, she and I, we didn't know quite what to expect, um, but having having guests on that aren't brown or black or people of color, they're not obviously standing out when they're, um, you know, when they leave their house. We're like, well, you must, you get to blend in like a white person, right? right. But then when right. you really start digging in, it's like, oh no, I went through that. My mom has said that. I feel the same way, you know? Um, and so I've just like, it's blowing me away because it makes me pause to be like, wow, okay, maybe things are much deeper than what I ever thought. Liz, you and I have talked about that a little bit before, which is, you know, when I met you, I knew that you were Polish Mm -hmm. and I knew that your family, your parents had come over and that you were first generation. But as we've gotten to know each other, brother, we're finding out just how similar our upbringings were, at least inside the house, right? Um, so let's talk a little bit about what it was like, the similar aspects of being a first generation, regardless of where you come from. So for us, it was like, education is the most important thing. Also, why would you need to be out any later than 9pm? <laughs> and that was a push, right? We've talked about this before, which is like, yeah. oh, my God, nine o'clock. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're going to the mall, and that's when they close, it's okay for you to be back then, right? Like, that was the one thing I could get. But then also, do you need to go to the mall? Didn't right. you go to the mall last week? <laughs> you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but like one of the, the big things for us was like, you always had to justify why you were asking who, and then you, there was a litany of things you had to say. Who are you going with? How are you getting there? When are you getting back? Who else is going to be there? Yep. And then finally, why do you need to go? I had always made these assumptions about my friends who were white, but had immigrant parents to be like, they never have to deal with that. Turns out actually you did. So what was that like for you in like when you were growing up? I think my parents had the same list as your parents. They might've even shared the list with each other. It was exactly (laughs) the same. Like, where are you going? Who are you going with? Why do you have to go? Um, A lot of it was explaining what it meant to like hang out, right? Because it's, it's different than what my parents did. Um, and when you're going to be back, uh, Sunday was for family and church, which I think was just the way it worked and it worked for a lot of people like first generation or not. Um, so we didn't really see our friends on Sundays. Um, we saw our cousins mostly played with our cousins growing up. Like that was really our friends, right? Cause family, you are very close with your cousins, right? Yeah. Yeah. We grew up for sure. Like side by side, right. Cause they our moms are sisters. They talked all the time. And uh, we call our little, you know, the news that happens in our family, PNN, Polish News Network, 
So there's still a hot network going around of information. I love that. We're going to borrow that BNN yeah. vaccine news network. That's true. There's four of us. So there's enough to actually be a network. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's a really, that's similar too. that. We missed out on so many things. Kosha and I especially missed out on so many things on the weekends because we were driving up to the burbs to be with our family. And so our cousins were often our playmates more than our friends. Yeah, it was my cousins, or sometimes we had an uncle visiting for like six or nine months at a time because they were working. Uh, and so they were living with us. So we mostly hung out with them or went somewhere with them on the weekend. Um, or our grandparents were in town. <laughs> you have a brother? I have a brother. Younger. Yep, younger brother. And then your aunt I have and uncle. two cousins. Yep. Yeah, so Mark and. Mark and Joe. And Mark. Is it your same Six weeks apart. <laughs> is the part of the PNN gossip network um, that Shailushi and Mark went to Sadie Hawkins dance the freshman year together? I would imagine not because Mark would not want anyone to know about that. It wasn't, but I did revive it when prepping for this and remembering how you guys were involved. So I might have sent a little PNN around about Ooh, that. Oh, nice. We were, we were, yeah, we were in class together. All of us were in class together. You and I and Mark and I can name off, you know, probably half dozen people that we would just like, at least that freshman year, we're just rotating around. We just went to the same classes and like someone took French and someone took Spanish. So you were maybe something was slightly different, but basically all the accelerated classes, it was like the same 20 people all the time. Yep. So listeners, she and Mark went to Sadie Hawkins, which means you had to ask, it was turnabout. So you had to ask Mark. And he said yes. And mm-hmm. then you got matching shirts. That was the deal. You had to get matching shirts. Do you remember what you wore? I do. It was a pair of jeans. We were both wore jeans. And we wore turquoise or aqua long sleeve shirts with the Mickey Mouse. Yes. I think he had Mickey Mouse and I had Minnie Mouse. I don't think that's true. I don't remember that thing. But I know it was Disney themed. Yeah, it, and it no, was it Mickey was very much Mickey Mouse. Yes. I think Mickey and Minnie were both on the shirt. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah. It was, it was something like that. And we had a really nice time. I remember the picture. You were sitting down in a chair. Yeah, it's very like pose pictures. Very, very like, yeah, prom picture-y. Yeah, we had, a, we had a good time. But I do remember he had to leave early. And it was like only a half an hour for the dance ended. <laughs> no, seriously, it ended at nine. And he, had to, he was like, I got to leave at 8.30. And I was like, do you have to leave at 8.30? And he's like, no, I have to. But I believe we figured out that this was not uh, not slight against you. Well, right? so, I mean, to be, f- I just, to set it up, when we talked about this initially, I had a whole story in my head that somehow he didn't like me or it was something about me being being different. Like I had really made that, like, I'm not the same as all these other girls that could have asked Mark and so I I took that really personally like it's something about me and Liz what was actually what did Mark say oh it's totally that inside the house culture thing right where I don't know you had to be home at 8 30 what are you doing going to a dance and why would you be out past 8 30 right that's just when you get home and I actually also understand like if you guys were not romantically involved which it sounds like you weren't no we were really really good friends yeah it wasn't worth that battle to like it's just easier to be like you know what i'll be home at 8 30 8 30 instead fine. of having that argument about why you have to stay out later 
because you might want to save that capital for, right, an for another one in a week. Yeah. Or who wants to explain Sadie Hawkins? Like, that's the other thing. Like, you have to, I remember about high school a lot is I had to explain what everything was. Like, and now we have this thing called homecoming. And this is what people do. And could you take me to the Maurice's and help me buy a new outfit? Like, that is where I bought that shirt, by the way. For me and Mark, I bought the shirts at Maurice's. Yeah, the one store we had in Streeters where you could buy clothes. <laughs> so do you, did you get the sense that you had to raise your Polish parents? From the culture side, I think, right? Like, I know when I was a little kid, there's a whole story about how, like, I was my mom's translator because she didn't speak English at first. And so um, she learned when I learned, right? But, like, we would go to the store and I'd, I'd tell the cashier, like, you talk to me because my mom can't talk or whatever I would say about her. Um, so there's, like, that story growing up. But I think really it was, like, the how do you apply for college? What in the world is this thing you want to go do? What do 16 year olds do um, to hang out? Like that's not like they didn't go to the mall, then go over people's houses to hang out. Like that just wasn't part of what they had growing up. So I think like explaining, I felt like explaining America, like I knew what it was, but like, I felt like I had to bring it home and explain it. Lucky for my brother, cause he got off easy. Cause by the time they got to him, he knew it. They knew what they were talking about. And they knew how to speak English better. I had no idea that your mom could not speak English when she moved to this country. No. So the difference is that my mom did speak English when she moved to this country. Because in India, you learned Hindi, which is a national language. You learned your regional language, which is Gujarati. And every school taught English. My mom had English language. She went to an English language. She went to dental college. So she had to know English. But she generally thinks in Gujarati. And the less English she has used, obviously, the less, you know, proficient she is. But the idea of your mom moving here and not being able to speak a lick. Everybody, like my grandfather, my dad, my mom, like nobody that came here could speak English because it just, you learned Russian and Polish. That's giving me anxiety because that, there's so much at risk. If you oh, can't totally. even communicate with people. But your dad spoke English when she came here. Well, by the time my mom came, yeah, my dad had gone through high school. Because he came here as a child. So he came here as an eighth grader. Right. So so we're ta- like, as we're talking through this season, we're like, okay, we're defining, you know, first generations as you know, someone who has the fir- a first generation mentality. So if they came when they were five or six, like you're really raised as a first generation. Right. But then we're, we're actually running into a lot of people who I thought were first generation Americans. And, and they end up like being like your dad coming when they're 13. It's like, you're a half gen. You truly, I mean, you had a lot of formative years in one culture versus coming here when you were six months old or five years old and then having to switch. I mean, you could do a whole season just on these people like your dad. Well, and when you come in eighth grade, it's not like anybody else in the house was American or English speaking even, right? Like, so you grew up in Polish culture because that's all that everybody knew. And, And by the time everybody learned how to speak English or even my dad learned, he was much older. So like you kind of get stuck in that you're, you've come here, but you're still stuck in the old culture. Cause that's what you, you know, and what's comfortable. Right. Well, and I was trying to find this term. There's actually a term online for this. And I think this is where 
you know, where people who go back often or came over as children or like their parents just never really engaged with their home culture, your dad and your mom and you as an extension of that, um, because you were raised by parents who were stuck in the 70s in Poland, had the same thing for us. Like when my parents left India in the 70s too, and they came here and their entire idea of what India means is in 1975, 1976, but it's a really different country than it was. So the kinds of norms we were raised with, don't wear that, don't show that, don't say that, don't, that's not what people do in India now. Right. I mean, going back there now and being like, those people are holding hands. When we were raised to be like, you may not even talk to a boy because that means you are transgressive. Girls don't talk to boys. Right. Like that's what's so fascinating. Like when I think about our parents having to figure out how to raise us, it's like, we knew how to do it. We knew how we were raised in a world that's super different than where we are now, both in time and place and literally tradition. So which one do you do? <laughs> and I'm sure it's super confusing to try and figure out because your kids are dragging you into the new ways, yeah. but you don't understand them and you're trying your best. And you're, you know, I'm definitely trying to do things that you know, a 16 year old girl might try and do, right? Like stay out later or do whatever you do. Um, so I can't even imagine how hard it was to figure that out. Well, and also the fact that like you were the first and I have what I have one kid and uh, Shayla, she's got two, but Shayla, she was the first too. And it's like literally no, zero parents know what they're doing. Right. That's true. Right. As an, as a parent now, I'm like, oh my God, my parents knew nothing. Because you, you grow up thinking that your parents like are super smart. They're giving me these rules because of something. They're adults. They're adults. Like that's the only, they're adults. If they didn't know what they were doing, how could they possibly have children? Oh, and then when you get to be of, of reproductive age, you're like, oh, this is how people who don't know what they're doing have kids. Because I'm allowed to have a kid. But, but I understand this, like every generation is faced with, the next generation pushing them forward. Right. I think these second generation kids have the benefit of at least having parents who understand the place that they live. Right. You and I, you and I, Kosha, the four, three of us had to explain not only how school worked, how socializing worked, what the, what certain words meant. There's this, and I imagine it was really similar. We're hearing a lot of this, which is you better pick a path early and you better commit to it. This idea of like, well, I'm going to try this for a while and I'm going to do that thing. And like, that was never a thing, right? So confusing to our parents. <laughs> My dad, when I, I switched from wanting to be a doctor to going into public health and my parents lived. So there are two things, right? Once I had said, I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was like eight or nine years old until the time I actually had to apply to med school. And I was like, I don't want to apply to med school. I just want to be a doctor. Can I just skip everything between college and practicing medicine? And not surprisingly, most medical boards say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> right. They want you to go through medical school and then do your residency and do your board exams. And I was like, that's a lot of work. It's too hard. It's going to really harsh my vibe. I don't want to do that. So I was like, maybe public health, but also by the time I was in college, I was like, I care about health, but I care about groups of health. And I care about how and why policy decisions get made. I don't care about whether one person has diabetes or not. Why does that person have diabetes? 
is it because you don't have access to healthy foods or medicine or healthcare? Like that's important to me. So public health was my path. But then when they said that at first they were like, no, to be unfair, they were confused. Like what happened? Why did you change your path? But the, what it came down to was ultimately my parents initially didn't understand what I want why I wanted to change, but then they went, but I don't understand what you're doing. And secondly, how would this affect your life prospects? Like we understand what a doctor does. What's this weird public health thing? If you're doing that thing, can you have a career? Can you support yourself? You know, is everything, is everything going to be fine? We moved here to make sure that our kids had a better life, but the hell is this thing? Right. Yeah. And you carry that like sense of duty, right? Like I want to make sure it was worth it that you moved over here and that shows up like all the time in life. I want to stop you right there. Cause I think you said, you said a phrase that is truly encapsulating what first generation kids go through, which is you carry a sense of duty. Absolutely. What your parents went through. They gave up everything they knew to come here. In some cases they didn't speak the language, you know, my mom came here when she was five months pregnant with me. My dad was stuck in India. There's some, there was basically an immigration mix up. My dad was already here working, but the marriage kind of threw everything off. And so my mom had to come over pregnant by herself in November. Same. My mom came over pregnant by herself in December. <laughs> like it's within a month of each other. Cause I'm sure assuming when were you born? February. February. Born in February. I was born in April. So we're talking like 10 weeks apart. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is getting weird, you guys. I think we should <laughs> X out. Wrap it up. I know. Call, call me like Ghostbusters. And yeah. Like, hmm. This is weird. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. When you said it, I'm like, no, 1975. <laughs> so why, why, does, why was your dad stuck in Poland then? No, my dad was here. Oh, she just had so, to come over by herself. My dad went over. They got married. She got pregnant. My dad had to come back because he had a plane ticket. She was still waiting for a green card. Oh. Got, you know, got that all taken care of and came over two months before I was born. And for us, for my mom, it was, she had gotten her green card. My parents got married. Then they, then, you know, they found out they were pregnant with me. My mom was pregnant with me. But my, the U.S. immigration authorities would not let my dad back over because they somehow had assumed that he was marrying my mom to come into the country, even though he already had a green card and like had a residency at Cook County. So the, the rollout of that was like they tried to fix it from there and then he lost his job, he lost his apartment, he lost his car, he lost all his belongings. My mom came over in November to clear it up and then he came over like right away and I was born in April and somehow they managed to make it work. There's a weird, yeah, this is a weird like cross stream situation. It is very weird, but it is also an amazing testament to the power of immigrant grit. Right. Immigrants have more grit than any other Absolutely. group of people ever. They're basically like, I don't care what's happening. I'm just keep my head down, keep going. Yeah. I mean, that's, Totally. My, watching my parents and how they worked, like how many odd jobs they did to bring money in, like what they taught us about grit. Like, God, grit is the perfect word for both of them. Absolutely. Like, I know that my, a lot of people are like, how did they do it? And I was like, I know my dad like did 
swing shifts in the ER at Cook County Hospital, which it was like not at the, the the original Cook County Hospital. For those of our listeners who know where it is, is on the west side of Chicago. It's like a cool part of Chicago now because it's like West Town and blah blah. It's super cool, but in the seventies, it was basically you know the Wild West. Well, we lived at Ashland and Grand, uh, Brian and I, uh, before we moved to River Forest. And when I told dad where we're moving, he started laughing. Not like he knew that it wasn't scary anymore because he's been to Bulls games and stuff. And But um, he started laughing because he's, I was like, what? And he go, he's like, I never would have considered like going east of where, you know, just we were so far beyond what the safe border was from when they came over. The fact that my dad was like, this is what I'm here for. We're gonna struggle, we're gonna make it work, but it's gonna be better for our kids. Yep. It's amazing to think about how much people would give up for their future generations, right? Yeah, yeah, and how do you not carry that and make sure you do good on it? The one difference here, this is how we know Shalishi and Liz are different people, is <laughs> mom and dad would have been like very, very well set up in India. Like they left a lot of affluence. Um, it sounds like, Liz, like, did you say earlier that like things were not good in no. Poland after no. the war, right? So it sounds like your parents, they really had to pick up by the bootstraps because things were not going to look good. Like how, can you describe like what they left? Yeah. I mean, I think they probably left a life that was going to have a lot of manual labor, right? Whether it's my dad maybe was farming or doing, I don't know what he would have done if he was there. He works at a grocery store here. So probably something physical. My mom was going to school to work in hotels and tourism. I think that was one way out, right? In a, an industry that would hopefully boom. But then I remember, like, when we went back in the 80s, it was martial law, food ration cards, uh, stories of my grandfather bringing a pig on a stretcher, pretending it was a human so that we had meat, you know, like just, and he was a EMT. So that was how we got an ambulance and a stretcher to bring food over. So just, you know, all kinds of like black market stories, you know, and as a kid, I think they're all like blown up today, but um, it was not easy when we went back in the 80s to visit. Um, so I can't imagine their life would have been super easy. Um, I know them being here made my family's life a little easier back there. Not that you know, we weren't saving people or doing anything big other than sending money when we could or canned ham, right? So that they had food, but. Well, you think about what a canned ham might cost you here right. versus the fact that your grandfather had to get a pig on a stretcher to have ham right back th- like you can just buy a canned ham for like i don't know five bucks or whatever it costs probably in the 80s it costs five bucks and then you put it in a box you send it over and it's not going to go bad right which right. if you paid a hundred dollars to get send a canned ham over to poland that is a hundred dollars more meat than anyone in that village has at that moment Exactly. And you could eat it. You could trade it. You could thank somebody and give them that when they helped you. It was really different. I mean, then the world changed really fast too. So it's this 
huge, like who knows if they had stayed what life would have looked like because it got so different in the 90s. I don't, I don't know. It's like a big unanswered question, right? You know, once communism kind of fell and yep. Iron Curtain started to basically like pull apart how different it was for people in Russia and Poland and so like when I go back now, my cousin's life looks like mine. Our lives are really similar. They got great jobs. They work in the city. We go on vacation together. Like they have a great house. Like, you know, life is, life is, looks the same to me. Um, it's just in a different country with, you know, different traditions and ways of life. But So what are the, what are the type of things like you, like I was saying, you speak so beautifully about your culture and your parents and, and everything. But you did talk about like being 13 and you're like, I want to be American and I don't want to have to explain this to you all the time. Are there things that you, when you felt othered where you're like, man, just being Polish sucks right now, you know, like as you're growing up or I I have said that being like, I just don't want to be Indian for like a day or a week or. I mean, I think what's hard is I don't remember exactly what it felt like when I was a teenager. Um, I have, a, I can imagine maybe what it feels like now or what it would have felt like. I think the parts that I like would wish away was that like I could actually see my grandma and grandpa or that I would see my aunts and uncles. Um, so like you kind of wished for more of your family to be around. That was a big one for me. Um, we couldn't like even talk to my grandma that often on the phone uh, because you used to have to order phone calls. And those were only after midnight when it was cheap and maybe the connection worked. Yeah. We still, we still talk about how my mom screams on the phone. Like she's talking right. to India, right. like through the air. And it's like, th- there's a delay and you, you couldn't hear. And then you just start screaming at each other. Like totally. And then be like, I just want to walk over to my grandma's house and like hang out on a Saturday morning. And you couldn't do that. So I think that was, that was some of it. But then you had to give up an entire summer, right? You had to give up six weeks. Yeah. So I wanted that structure to be different for sure. I think you know, you'd totally get embarrassed by your parents for a million reasons. And unfortunately, some of it was like, they didn't know stuff or they, we always hung out with our family only, or they had an accent. And, you know, you try to push that down pretty fast because so, you're not, you're not really embarrassed by your parents, right? It's all about you. But I'm, I know that came up a lot and we just had different traditions. Like we eat different things for meals. We act differently. My parents dress. We want to dress differently. I don't know. Um, but it's always not great to feel different. Right. And, and mine was like this subtle difference. Like you probably didn't know that if something was different, if you met me at the store, but it really was in a lot of ways, because we were holding two traditions. It wasn't like relatable. That is an excellent point. It's like, does it matter actually what you look like to a certain extent? Like, but there was something not relatable with you to like the people around you. And the same with us, like they couldn't, people couldn't relate. It was so hard to relate to people and be like, no, we're going to India for two months so I could play gin rummy with my sister. Um, But like, and to have to, I think that's one of the reasons, you know, that you stick to family too is like, Right. For once, I don't have to explain this. I don't have to explain it. We all eat the same stuff. We all talk the same way. We know that half and half is fine at the table of language. Right, um, right. You know what garachu is. Right, exactly. So no one has to be like, what the hell is that? I think we need to publish an actual um, Femlock dictionary at the end of the season. 
I think you do. Because we've got a lot. Gracia is great. It, it sounds like an Indian Gujarati, like mom would say, Gujarati. Right. You know? Pretty much how my grandma sounded. So there you go. <laughs> One of the things that we've talked to a couple people about is um, celebrations and how to walk the, you know, kind of balance, walk the line between kind of old world celebrations and bringing them and and so much of that is like familial, right? Like your family does something and the Gujarati house down the street, they're like, we don't do that thing. What's connecting you to your culture from a celebration standpoint? Like how do you celebrate Christmas or Easter being two huge Catholic holidays as Kosha and I know from having gone to Catholic school. Yeah. Kosha went for eight years. I went for five years. I literally could do all the stations across in my sleep. <laughs> I've done stations across more than Brian has. We went to St. Stephen's, which was, they still did mass. They did high mass in Latin. So it was like serious, like old school serious. style. So, right. But a lot of modern Catholics are like, uh, stations across, what, huh? Yeah, we, well, for sure, we have a lot of traditions tied to religious holidays which makes a ton of sense i mean poland's super religious and my parents are too so our easter looks i think like what a polish easter looks like our uh christmas eve absolutely follows a lot of the same traditions with a little bit of american stuff sprinkled in or stuff that sneaks in uh it's mostly a meatless meal but we somehow have a couple little things that hit the table and that are meat easter is meatless Christmas no, Eve. Uh, I'm sorry. I must have confused you. It's a- oh yeah. Easter is like all pork products possible. Like either like pigs, piglets, or sheep. Yes. Like baby sheep, lambs, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So we're a big sausage ham. But Christmas Eve is meatless. Christmas Eve is meatless in our fam. And I think in a lot of Poland, I'm pretty sure it's Polish Christmas Eve. So my husband's family is like Scandinavian Catholic and they're like ham or chicken ham or chicken like it's it's either ham or chicken all the time actually so the fact that you're like oh no Christmas Eve was meatless I was like I have never experienced it all day oh my god where there wasn't some giant pork like beet product on the table oh totally different yeah no that like ours is like our Christmas Eve was quiet and like prayerful and just really like my parents were very chill on Christmas Eve. Actually kind of observant. Yeah, exactly. Observant. Jesus is being born. <laughs> exactly. The anticipation part was taken seriously. <laughs> anticipation. <laughs> well, let's, let's be clear. If Jesus is going to be born on Christmas day, you are not going to get trashed and party you're going to be waiting in quiet solitude. Absolutely. Did you then, did you get drunk and party on Christmas day then? No, but you know, my parents did that on a Saturday night with their friends and played cards. Like we had that little Polish tradition. (laughs) And they were in their twenties. Like they were in their twenties raising us. Like, of course they had people over and they had a good time. And like uncles would come to town and there was Okay, I'm 41 and I still get drunk on Saturday night when Batsy's sleeping. So I don't think it has anything to do with age. No, totally. So they, they totally brought that tradition of cards and talking and drinking and then laughing, um, which I 
almost all families have, right? That's true. Were they <laughs> drinking vodka? Is vodka the drink of choice? I think so. I don't really remember. I think there's beer and vodka, probably. Beer and vodka, yeah. Yeah. Lex, my darling nine-year-old son on the spectrum, did tell me that before the end of the Cold War, everyone got a ration of vodka that was basically one liter without a cap that couldn't be replaced. It, like basically all the Russian areas, anything that was owned by the USSR, they got a one liter per day ration of vodka with a cap that could not be rescrewed. I had no idea. Vodka won't go bad overnight, it's fine. But, ba- <laughs> but basically because the cap couldn't go back on, people just kept drinking it because they're like, we gotta keep, you have to finish it. And wow. you get back next day to get your next bottle because it's done because you want more maybe for that night, but you don't want a whole liter, but the cap won't cut back on. So that's how, that's how the whole like Eastern European, like people being drunk all the time thing kind of got enforced. The state enforced this. It's a form of control, I guess. And manipulation, right? It yeah, really it works totally in is. their favor in a fucked up way. Yeah, everything's not so bad after a while, too, right? Like, if you just keep drinking, then... Oh, yeah. And, like, and the, the government's giving us this alcohol. Like, and we not... Now we need it or want it. It's And what's really interesting about that, too, so just having listened to the latest chapter on alcohol and its effect on the brain with um, Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, Talking to Strangers, is that... What alcohol actually does is make you myopic. So you just focus literally in on the most salient things in your life. And so if you're drinking with your family and friends, you end up focusing in on the fact that you have family and friends around and your life feels warm and good because you feel loved. And it helps you basically knock like, or block out that maybe the rest of your life isn't that great. But if you do that, every day you get up you're kind of half drunk or hungover and you drink some water and you just go to work and you put your widgets together and you come home and then you drink with your family and friends and what you remember of every day is a feeling of warmth and connectivity connected to your family it it's a really creepy way of enforcing state control which is we don't want people to actually think about what, how much better things could be. We just want people to focus on how great it feels to be with their family and friends. And here is a, here's a liter of vodka every day to reinforce the feelings of connectedness to your family and friends. Whew, that's- We might need uh, Lex on the podcast pretty soon. We can't talk to him. He's practically on the podcast right now. I know, he's super loud. I can't help it. So just to kind of round things out, uh, is there anything like, first of all, we always like, is there anything pressing that you're like, I really want to talk about this thing. We didn't get to talk about it. I think the thing for sure is it's pretty gosh darn cool to be a first generation American. Like, even if I didn't feel that all the time growing up, like I'm pretty proud of it and pretty proud of my parents for coming on over. So I, I just want to make sure that's loud and clear. Like no matter how much being 13 stunk, <laughs> it's nothing compared to what I got for the rest of my life. Well, doesn't being 13 stink like that's a universal truth. I was just about to say, I have a 13 year old and I have done reproductive rights and justice my whole life. My 13 year old has come out as being non-binary 
and they still think I'm the worst person in the world because I can't get their pronouns right every single time. And I was like, okay, being a 13 year old and being an adult, I mean, I just need you to know how much other shit is going on in my head, but clearly I'm the worst because I, sometimes I say she instead of they. Because they are 13. Because when you're 13, your whole life is literally it's like- It's that small, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> and which makes sense. All of, all of us as 13, 14, 15 year olds been like, my life is literally the most important thing to me. Well, you know, it goes back to like what Liz was saying, what you were saying, Liz, about like being 13 and kind of being embarrassed. Like, why do you have to talk like that? And now, you know, like, why do you have to talk with an accent or whatever it was? And now you look back and you're like, oh, you talked with an accent because you up and left your house and your family to come here and raise us. And so, you know, what you said was so clear is like being embarrassed is really about yourself not about the other person um but i wanted to we want to close out with you know you did give us some awesome familect as we um as we went through which is fantastic and i will say half of those words probably tonight uh brian can you close the gratu <laughs> and he's gonna be like what did your mom say because <laughs> it totally that's amazing. So what are some of the other words that like, do you share? It sounds like you do have a lot. Um, Kosha, you and I should say Garachu to mom and see if she gets it. Cause I'm, I'm hundred percent sure if I say, I mean, can you just go cl click the button for the Garachu? She'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Also, can I just say that I've said it so many times in the last half hour that it feels natural to me now. <laughs> I think it's our word now, Garachu. And like our, Spur and Troy would be like, what? We're like, Garachu, where the cars go. And they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah. Right. They'll, they'll just pick it up really quickly. So there's, but so there's, yeah, there's a word in that my parents use. It's jungly Veda, which is to act as if you lived in a jungle. Jungly Veda means don't do jungle. Don't act, basically don't act like a crazy person. A monkey. Don't act like a monkey. No, monkey veda is different. Monkey veda is different. That's true. Jung Jungly veda is acting like what's his face in Jungle Book. Mowgli. You're acting like an uncivilized person. Monkey veda means you're acting actually like a monkey. So anyway, okay. We talk about ourselves. So this <laughs> is about you. So what are some of the other fun familect words that you have? like mark would know or that your mom would know or, or my brother like i i think well we use a lot of polish words i think they're the real polish word but in funny situations so there's some that just sound awesome like oczywiście which means but of course or something like that oczywiście that's how we say it that's how we're all gonna say it now i'm gonna say that to my 13 year old and they're gonna be like what huh and i'll be like I'm just going to say over and you're over. Gonna, you're going to say that to a Polish person and they're going to be like, how dare no, you? No, they're going to be like, that's not a real word. I'm sorry. Go to the garage, you. <laughs> okay, right. so that's so a good... Say, o oczywiście. Um, I don't know how to say it hurts. So I say boliwa. I have no idea what you're really supposed to say. And I just think it's a fun word. I don't... Is it, a, is it related to any real word at all? close but I truly don't know what the real word is 
Um, so I, if something hurts, if this was live, if this was live, I 100% would have your mom call in and just, and correct everything. I don't even know if she knows the right word anymore because I use it all the time. She's like, well, how, how's your headache? I'm like, oh, bully. So (laughs) we use that a lot. Like your immediate family knows what it means. Yes. But no one, you don't know that you're nobody else would know. Yeah. That's family that comes from your parents. Like that's what we're talking about, which is the language that comes down that like literally no one else can understand. It's been like slightly tweaked or whatever, and no one else will get it except for you and your parents and maybe your kids. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. So Wabo is another one. I don't really remember what the original word is, but when you don't, when you don't feel so good and you're kind of weak, uh, you can be like, oh, Wabo. Oh, you totally are Wabo. And it's, it kind of just expresses it, too. You're like, oh, I'm feeling slow. Yeah. It <laughs> sounds like it feels. Wavy. It feels wa- wavy, but unsure. It's like unsure wavy. I'm, I'm Wabo. Or if somebody makes an argument. Yeah, or somebody makes an argument and you're like, oh, Swabo. <laughs> like, not good. Oh, like, you don't have a leg to stand no. on. Like, that's not. Oh, that's an interesting use It's very that. unsteady. We're going to all, we're going to use this. We're going to pull it together. We're going to issue a like dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll have to ask my fam what the rest of our words are, but there's a lot that all of a sudden just pop up in the middle of a conversation and you're like, okay, that's hilarious. Thank you. Well, when you say like that, that half and half is totally accepted in your, in your house and with your family and you don't have to explain it, then like those words come out of that. Like I, um, I, and because I'm like the I say weird things. So I was talking about like flip-flops are jumples in Gujarati. And I started, I was like, uh, get the chumpy chumps. And now I've and now I call them chumps. And everyone knows like what I'm talking about when I was like, let me get my chumps. But like only my family. There's, only, there's also translational quirks, right? So my mom used to say, it's time to go for a shower. That's I gotta put English. out the TV. Put out the TV? Exactly. Yes. Close the lights. We close the lights. We go for a shower. And you know, like a kitchen towel? Um, those are napkins in our family. And we both married white boys who are from like Western Europe. And they're like, they're hand towels. I was like, anything you wipe your hands on is a napkin. Anything you wipe your body with is a towel. And in India, they don't have washcloths. Or paper towels. Do you have a napkin or towel? Yeah. But the fact that it's like a big piece of cloth or a small piece of cloth, that's really <laughs> what you're talking about. And the fact that when I said napkin, our husbands were like, what are you talking about? I was like, what is this thing? This is a napkin. He goes, that's a hand towel. What do you use it? Do you wipe your body with it? No. Dish towel. Dish towel is like a square or a washcloth. But dish towel, slightly bigger is a hand towel, slightly bigger kitchen towel, also acceptable. Um, then you go to bath towel and then you have a beach towel. Oh, wow. That's fancy talk. We didn't have time for all those words. <laughs> and we never went to the beach because where was there a beach in landlocked Illinois? <laughs> Although your dad somehow knows about a way you can get a boat to Streeter. So... <laughs> I love your dad. I love your family so much. And I just want to say this. They love you too. (laughs) Right now, I hope your family listens to this episode. 
your mom, your dad, your brother, but also your aunt, your uncle, and both of your cousins, which is basically Mark. If yeah, you're listening. Mark also, like, also Mark, your family always made me feel welcome. You know, I never stopped to think about it until recently, but how much similarity was there between the two of us? And maybe how right. much, I always knew that my parents were really comfortable with me being friends with you. And yep. I think it and might be that, that deal, which is like, oh, I get, I get what's happening here. Their family and our family, we're doing the same thing. We're not from the same place, but we're doing the same thing. Exactly. And those are safe people. Yep. We're pre-vetted. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just like how, just like how Sheila, she's friends are pre-vetted. Yeah. Me. You got it. See how that works? Sure. <laughs> I would just like to point out that Shulshi very much actually loves that her people have connections outside of her. That's I just know, like, Kosha, I just know that you have issues around anxiety. Oh, it's like, please don't stop with that sentence. You have issues, period. We're done now. Kosha, you have issues. Let's Bye, Liz. No, but you, you have anxiety issues that I don't have, but I know others of my friends have, right? So I just think about, like, the more you can form a network to support the people in your group, the better it is. Well, it's all, it's, it's all about like the health of the herd, right? Like the healthier, the weakest link is that it brings everybody up. But a lot of people aren't about that. That's why I think for some of us, it's hard to have the crossover and some of us it's like, no, all the crossover. Well, thank you so very much, Liz, for being here with us and sharing your story and um, just being vulnerable and, and telling your awesome legacy. I'm so, so excited to reconnect like meaningfully with you. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Good luck with the podcast. Have a wonderful Thanks. day. Bye, Bye guys. Thank you. Good night. Bye.